You've created your business and now it's time to protect it. Whether it's your podcast, speaking engagements that you do virtually or live on in-person stages or the community that you've built, you want to make sure that what you've created is taken care of and well protected. This is where AWB contract templates come in. They're customizable, quick and easy to complete and cost a fraction of working with a lawyer one-on-one. They have tons of options available so you can choose the ideal one for your business needs. It's an instant download. You get a Word doc template, you fill in the blanks and in about 20 minutes, you're all done. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash contracts today to pick out your new business contracts. And when you check out, be sure to use the code play for 20% off your contract purchase. That's P-L-A-Y in all caps for 20% off. Protect your business with AWB contract templates. Business and life coexist and they commingle and you can't stop your business because life is happening, but you also can't stop your life because business is happening. Hello, hello, and welcome back to Pause on the Play. As always, it's amazing to see you here where you are challenged to reconsider your normal and consider realities you may be unfamiliar with in order to understand that they too are real. I am your host and conversation MC for the day, Erica Corday, here to get the dialogue going. So I am recording this in the middle, what is this, March, April? April? It's April, I think. In April, and winter keeps fighting back. Spring is not fighting hard enough. I'm not okay with this. I am ready to be warm, people. I am so, <laughs> I had to turn my heater back on now. I am sitting here recording and I'm like, I need a heater. And it, 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 I was planning on talking about like systems of freedom. And in my head, I'm like, this makes me want a vacation. And I'm like, I need a vacation because I'm cold. So that being said, <laughs> we are starting off this episode with me thinking about Palm trees, warm things, and some sun and some heat. And I'm somebody that does not like to be overly hot. However, I'll take it right now. So today is really just a a great conversation that I'm excited for you to kind of listen in on because I love being able to dig into kind of where freedom can show up, where it's accessible, maybe where you don't even think about it. Um, And particularly if it's done in a way that it can also support business and life, having the type of harmony that you really want it to have and that you can choose differently from what we were all told. And so because of that, I was so glad to have this conversation with Tasha Booth. She's an agency owner, coach, and podcaster. She is the founder and CEO of The Launch Guild, a full-service launch support agency, working with established coaches and course creators with course and podcast launches. Her team is over 20 members strong and works together to support their clients in being able to focus back onto their zones of genius. Additionally, she mentors virtual support pros, launch managers, and agency owners who are passionate and ready to grow their businesses while living life on their own terms. And she is the host of the How She Did That podcast, a podcast for virtual support pros to learn business and tech tips. Tasha has been featured in Forbes, Fast Company, and Entrepreneur. 
She has also appeared as a guest speaker on various summits and podcasts, including Amy Porterfield's Online Marketing Made Easy and Julie Solomon's The Influencer Podcast. Love this conversation. Can't wait for you to check it out. Let's get it. Hello, Tasha. Hello there. I'm so glad to have you here. And it's a Wednesday, but the Wednesday is not overly Wednesday. So it's okay. <laughs> it's okay. We're going to make it through. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> so I want to start off by, I've, I've really been enjoying spending a moment just to humanize people. So tell us one thing that maybe people don't know about you, that isn't something they'll find on Instagram where you're very active, they won't find it in your bio. What's something about you as a human, the person, the individual? That oh, I love this. Okay, this is one that I don't share too often anymore, but I think it's interesting. I was a pastor's wife for 10 years. <laughs> before Did not my, know that. I know, right? Before, yeah, before my current marriage, I was married to a pastor for 10 years. Yeah. Yeah, definitely didn't see that coming. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Yeah. The, okay. So. <laughs> I left you speechless. My I'm, like, <laughs> I'm like, well, there we go. Like. So, like, without obviously getting super yeah. personal, but like, does that is it different than not being a pastor's wife? Not even just about your current marriage, but like, is it yeah. different than like being one versus not being one? I might seem obvious, but I have to ask. Yes, and so I I grew up in the church. I went to a Christian college. Like, I did all you know. I checked all the boxes. I did all the things, and I got to a point when I was thirty three, which I think is like important because that's the year when Jesus was crucified. <laughs> like, so oh, well, there you go. <laughs> it was supposed to be my Jesus year was supposed to be like the year that you come into your full self. That's what it's actually called. Like mm. your Jesus year when you turn 33. And so I woke up on my 33rd birthday being like, oh my gosh, this is going to be like the year of my awakening and coming into my full self, not knowing what that completely was going to mean. And so for me, I think over the last, what, eight, nine years now at this point, um, mm -hmm. that's been a completely different road than I thought it was going to be. But I like myself as a person so much more. And I feel like there is an authenticity mm -hmm. to me that wasn't there before when I felt like I had to filter a lot of what I wanted to say and how I wanted to say it and what I believed um, and what I didn't believe also. So yeah, it's, it's way better. First of all, thank you for sharing it because mm -hmm. I don't think that people often, I don't know if it always feels like we have permission to acknowledge not only how we feel better, like the things we're doing that feel better, but the things that it feels better to not do mm -hmm. that feel like the, am I, can I say this out loud kind yeah. of thing? Can I acknowledge this? And I think, especially for women and, and Black women in particular, we're told mm -hmm. who we're supposed to be and how we're supposed to be and to kind of choose at some point that this doesn't feel good. This isn't necessarily the way that I want to explore and do life. Yeah. And to somewhere in there to not only reclaim that permission, but to actually take the reins of your own and be like, no, I'm going to figure out what, what this really is for me and yeah. how I want to learn what's next. Like that's a, like, 
that's a big change and to claim that for yourself. So yeah, yes. (laughs) Thank you. Yeah. It was a huge and hard change at the time and it is still the best thing I've ever done for myself. Yeah, absolutely. So of course that makes me think about the fact of like everything that you do and the ways that I see you show up and what I know about you is really doing things that is not necessarily the way that the status quo sets it up. Mm -hmm. And it really is about figuring out, you know, what can freedom be? You know, what does it feel like to not do this in this one very rigid boxed in way? Mm -hmm. And so when we think about business, what is, what does freedom mean to you in that way? Because you laid out some great examples just now of what it is in life and how you can do that. Yeah. So I think freedom in business for me has always about been about the ability to have choice and to say yes to things that are important to me. I know in the very beginning of my business, one of the things besides paying off my student loan and credit card debt that I really wanted to do was just to be able to say yes to going out to lunch on a random Wednesday afternoon with my husband and not having to ask anybody's permission to do that or deciding that I wanted to work from, you know, someplace tropical for a week. Um, last year, I went with a friend to Portugal for a week and we still worked, but we worked from Portugal because we could, you know. Right. So that that freedom and the, that ability to say yes to things that are important to me and also not to have money be the primary factor of what I say yes and no to has always been really important to me. And so with you saying that, and and I do think that it's important to acknowledge that sometimes people automatically see like the laptop on the beach pictures and (laughs) it, it, it feels, it can feel very prescribed. And at the same time, it's like, you know, I want to be somewhere different just because that's what I want to do. It's kind of like, it's kind of like if I'm home Mm -hmm. and I'm working, that's great. I just want to do that somewhere else. Right. Exactly. Yes. And I think that that's an example that some people in business, particularly women and women of color, don't always think that there's freedom there Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. be able to access that. Is there anything else that comes up for you that maybe is an example of how freedom might not always feel as easily accessible? And what do you do to kind of counteract that? Yeah, I don't know if there's a, a, a key or core example of that for me. I think it's a matter of freedom also comes with putting in the work. You know what I mean? So I think that right. people sometimes look at those laptop lifestyle pictures and everything on the beach and they don't see the behind the scenes work to get to that place. <laughs> um, so I think that it's a matter of also acknowledging that piece of it and that business can be hard and business can still be messy. And at the same time, like you're also still getting to make the choices even in the hard and messy periods of it. I do think that's a big thing because often people start a business and they don't always realize that they're just simply creating a new boss for themselves. Mm-hmm. They create you know, they're their own boss. But there is, I think, a difference in being someone else's employee and having to go through that and trying to figure out how can I reclaim something for me versus if I work for me, I set the standards. I decide what I want to do. I decide what I want to support or the impact that I want to make and understanding that you have reclaimed the ability to to set that standard versus going with the standard that was set for you. And even though, yes, business 
it's still work. Mm -hmm. Like there's no easy out here. There's no true passive, like I don't do anything, which is my challenge with the word passive income. Like nothing's truly passive. (laughs) Nothing is passive about that. No, (laughs) no. But it's like, there's something to be said for acknowledging that I am going to choose to write this story. I'm not going to let someone else do it. Well, and that's what's so interesting to me. A lot of the people that I coach, when they first come into my programs, they say, you know, I know that I should be doing X, Y, Z. Or when we have launch clients, I know that I should launch this way. And I'm like, who told you that? You know, like, who told you that you should and why are you shooting on yourself, right? Like, why are you, why are you making or allowing others to decide what that looks like? I want you to show up in your launch and in your business authentic to you and authentic to what feels good for you. And that means figuring out what you want to say yes to and what you want to say no to, what boundaries you want to put in place and what you want this entire picture to look like so that you're not designing somebody else's life or picture, you're designing your own. So with that being said, I think very often there, again, with that kind of prescribed thing, uh, it it often comes with a side of burnout Mm -hmm. because people aren't doing what feels good to them. They're doing what somebody else says should feel good to them. Mm -hmm. And I think that you teach others to launch in a very different way because launches are notorious for feeling stressful and heavy. and I see you on Instagram. First of all, you make fun of it in the best kind of way. <laughs> so I get a kick out of that. And and just acknowledging that like that's not the life that you want to create for yourself. And so you're not trying to set anybody else up mm-hmm. to think that this is how they have to do that. And so with kind of pushing away um, the hustle culture types of pieces, the some of the bro marketing types of things that tell you this is how you have to launch. How is it that you're teaching and supporting people to know that they can launch differently? Mm -hmm. Well, we talk a lot about stress-free launches and feel-good launches. And I think that that's a different part of launching that people that perks people's ears up because they're wait they're like wait launches are always stressful they never feel good and I'm like right but, but why does it have to be that way like can we change that narrative somehow and I think that it goes back to thinking that they have to launch a certain way I actually talked to somebody yesterday I had a discovery call and she said she said yeah my coaches have told me that I shouldn't launch anymore because of the price point of my program and I said okay well define what launch means to you and to them. And she's like, well, I have to do a webinar and then I have to do, you know, and then I have to do this. And I said, there are thousands of other ways to launch (laughs) that can work for you better and can work for the price point of your program better and can work, you know, to, to get you the types of clients that you're looking for. And so when we put it into a box of like, I have to do this, 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 and this without first asking ourselves, what do I want to do? How do I already enjoy showing up? What would feel good for me in this launch? What's my bandwidth for this launch, right? All, asking all of those questions first, and then based off of that data, deciding the type of launch you want to have, whether that be you want to do a webinar, or you want to do a summit, or you want to do a challenge, or you just want to send some emails to your list and kind of see what happens. But I think it's it's a matter of 
uh, a lot of the course gurus out there on launching have created this formula, which totally makes sense. Everyone has a framework, but when you don't look, when you look at the framework as like I, a list of what you have to do instead of this is kind of the beginning of it. And now I get to mold it and it into exactly what makes the most sense for me. That's when we lose ourselves in the launch and end up feeling burned out. Agreed. And I think that that that's a big piece of it because again, when you hear the word launch, you have very specific thoughts and ideas and tasks that come to mind Mm -hmm. and to have, if nothing else, that permission that there are innumerable ways that this can be done Mm -hmm. and it doesn't have to be done in this exact way, in this exact order. If this doesn't feel good for you and what you're offering, I don't know that that's a permission that I hear anybody do, because it's often like, I've done it, you can too, which in itself can be problematic. (laughs) Um, But, you know, to kind of be like, yeah, I've done it. And if you do it exactly like this, you follow this formula, it will work. And (laughs) that's rigid. And when you hear it, you're like, that don't make sense though. Mm -hmm. Yeah, completely different person, like completely different audience. There are so many variables that people don't take into account. Yeah. (laughs) No. And sadly, not often enough. And I think it it can give it a bad rep Mm -hmm. and it can make it so that people then either just don't do it or they think that um, the the concept itself is inherently bad. And that's Mm -hmm. where I think it's really easy for certain concepts to all of a sudden now be the problem or the challenge or um, even for some people evil um, when it's really what is the energy that you give to it. Exactly. What, you know, what? how are you feeding this? And so with that, it, it makes me wonder if with your coaching, with, you know, supporting people with their launches, are there any things that you're seeing up um, around the concepts of diversity, equity, and inclusion that does influence the way you do things or things that you don't do? Yes, a lot. So I think a a big part of it that we've been talking more about, even on my team, like I was, I was thinking about this, this morning personally for me is how we are more inclusive in how we present our content. You know, I think, um, as especially for people who are, who are first launching or who don't have large teams when they're thinking about accessibility and when they're thinking about how do I get this to more people in different ways that would feel good for them, whether that's, um, text, you know, or whether that's like transcripts for their webinars or live transcripts happening during the webinar or something like that. It feels like another thing to do. And I feel like sometimes there is a push pull between like, I know that this is the right thing to do. I know this is the thing I want to do. And also this is another expense and another thing to do on my list. So for us personally, even for my own launches, we've already started having discussions about like, how can we be more inclusive in also a way that feels good for us and like makes sense uh, financially for us. And at the same time, just feels inclusive because we know it's the right thing to do. I don't know if that really answers the question, but the, that's one of the big things that like I I have been toying with um, in my own launches and also like having more discussions with for our clients as well. I, I do think that that's a, a great example of it mm-hmm. because very often things like transcripts, um, being able to have live transcriptioning, being there when you're actually in the the live um, events. And then, you know, what happens after the fact with the replays and things like that. That's one of those areas that I think can very 
easily for some people be written off as another expense that they can't afford. Mm -hmm. It is something else that they're like, well, I don't know how to get this. I don't have, you know, easy access to this, or they really just make it seem like another task that isn't worth it to do it. And what happens is, is you're inadvertently leaving behind a lot of people that isn't always the people you you think you're leaving behind. Because yeah. for some people, they're like, oh, well, you know, if they possibly can't actually take in the podcast in the traditional sense, or, you know, that they, they can't hear it, or, you know, we don't have a screen reader, so therefore they can't get it that way. Um, they're vision impaired. When, when you whittle it down to just having to be something to do with a disability, then you now aren't acknowledging, but what if somebody is neurodivergent? Mm-hmm. And this is like, oh, this is a disability I didn't think about or someone that simply just learns differently than, you know, your business has decided they have to learn. You know, right. for some people, they need to be able to see and, you know, audibly hear the content in order for it to sink in because all of us don't learn the same way. And so a lot of it is just being able to acknowledge however it is that you are going to be received what we're giving, we want you to be able to have multiple ways to do that. And that is something that is about accessibility for multiple groups across the board. So I think that that's something that I wish more businesses, but also more like actual corporations or companies thought about from the top down. Because if these things were baked in more, we wouldn't have to figure out on the back end how to get plugins or other platforms to fill in the holes. Yeah. And, and that's the hard part because then you're like, oh, it's another thing that I have to either learn or buy or pay somebody else to do, you know? And so, yeah, if it came from the top down, then it would just be like any other piece of software that we knew already included it, which would be fantastic. Somebody, somebody create that. Go do it now. <laughs> right. Basically, basically, because honestly, I feel like a lot of it hasn't been done because there's too many people that think we don't care enough. They think mm-hmm. we don't need it or we don't want it. And it's like, yes, I would love to not have, you know, two or three extra platforms that I have to navigate in order to fill this in. Can you just be inclusive Right. From the word go and make all of our lives easier. So much easier. (laughs) We cannot talk around topics. We have to use language to call it what it is. Call it what it is, folks. No matter how palatable or not, it may be. And in order to get to that point, you want to be in alignment with what matters to you and why. Being clear on this means that you can chart a course that prioritizes your values and the impact that they can create. Leading through your values means being explicit about what you support and how your actions are aligned with that. Implicit to Explicit Masterclass is here to help. Every single person you hire, every business you buy from, every decision and choice that you make brings you closer to or further away from your values. In order to go ahead and get clear on those, Indy and I can support you. You can go on over and sign up today at pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit. When we talk about business and life, so much of what you're sharing really sounds like life takes precedence over business. Mm -hmm. And... So I would love for you to share what does it mean to kind of live life on your own terms and how is it that that informs the work that you do so that it is prioritizing your life? 
Mm-hmm. So this was really important for me personally, but also when I started hiring team members and hiring employees, I wanted to make sure that it wasn't one of those scenarios where like the CEO was going to Portugal and having the time of her life and like the team members never felt like they could do the same. Um, so it was, it's always been really important to me that everybody feels like they are living lives on their own terms. And a couple of things that we've done at the Launch Guild in terms of how we do that is, first of all, we have unlimited paid time off. So I say to everybody um, when they start working with us and for us, like, I don't need to know if you're actually sitting at your desk in the middle of the day. Like, I just need you to get your work done. You know, like if you're a night owl and you want it, you know, you want to work at at midnight awesome. Like, I just need you at the team meetings that that you're going, like, you need to be at and to get the work done and everything else. Like, if it only takes you 20 hours a week and you're being paid full time, awesome, go do it and enjoy your life. We also uh, just started last year. So uh, I guess it was the year before we recognized and realized that like the middle of the year was really hard for our team. Like every single year we would like start hating each other and just not want to be around each other. And we were like, why is this happening? And then we realized it's because we're tired, (laughs) Uh, you know, and you get to that middle of the year slump where you're just like, I just can't, like, I, I love you guys, but like, I just need space from you. So we already had two weeks at the end of the year that we always took off the last two weeks of the year were completely closed for the launch guild. But we just started taking the middle, so Juneteenth through July 4th off as well. So those two weeks. And last year we did this and it was such a game changer. And we came back like ready to tackle the second half of the year with renewed energy. Um, And we're like completely like if we have clients who have launches during, well, not during that period, we never take like active launches during that period. But like we let them know, you know, you will not hear from us at all. So you're not getting a status update, nothing like check your own inbox. We're like, completely closed. So I think that those are two ways in which we really, like I've tried to infuse and practice the living life on your own terms. And just knowing that like you can, you can have a life that exists, you know, between the hours of of nine to five and doesn't involve your job. Um, You just have to make it work. I feel like that's one of those concepts that if you came from a traditional nine to five type of, of a job previously, it is challenging to think about like, what do you mean? Like, <laughs> yep. I don't have to do this. And I remember years ago, I was reading, a, I think it was a Denise Duffield Thomas book. And she talked about how there was a day that she took herself to the movies on a Friday and someone saw her and they were like, oh, you're playing hooky. And she was like, actually, no, I designed my business so that I can do things like this. Like, mm-hmm. I have permission. Like, I'm not yeah. sneaking to do anything. I'm a whole adult. <laughs> And I think, you know, like that's, that's a thing. And reminding ourselves that there is the permission to do that. And we don't have to kind of dance around it and act as if like, we don't have access to this. And I think that's a, a big piece of us really owning what's possible to be like, yeah, I can do this. I've done what I needed to do. And just Mm -hmm. because I didn't do it in this eight hour block, didn't mean that it all of a sudden counted for less. Yeah. Well, I take either most, if not all of Fridays off and I, every other week I go and get a massage and then the off weeks, I either go get my nails done or I get a facial. And every single time, like it's the same people every time and every single time still they're like, oh, are you off today? And I'm like, 
yes and also no, because Mm -hmm. I, you know what I mean? Like yes and no. Um, But I really think it is, it's a hard concept for people who have come out of corporate. And my former director of operations um, for my team, she used to tell me like, Almost every week, she'd be like, okay, so I worked a little less yesterday, so I'm going to work over my lunch break today. And I'm like, we have lunch breaks? <laughs> like, we, have, like, yeah, I was like, don't you just eat whatever you feel like? You know what I mean? Like, right. I don't need to know, like, that you're going to take extra, you know what I mean? Like, yes. It's, and it's still, like, it, it was really hard for her to get out of that mold of, like, oh, I have to let somebody know if I'm going to, like, do something in the middle of the day. I'm like, I don't need to know. Like, <laughs> have <Right>. fun. <laughs> Right. Whatever you do, you do that thing. And yeah. I and that's something that, you know, when I think about when I initially started working for myself and even now in this current iteration um, of, of this particular, I have had and currently have multiple businesses, but this particular one, I will sometimes notice like, oh, wait, that popped up trying to pull me back into the old thing. And I'm not going back to that because there is that thing of like, you know, well, what time did I start working or how long did I sit at my computer? And it's the old narrative mm-hmm. and I'll recognize it and I'll know it's not mine, but I'll know that something somewhere in what I've been doing triggered it. And I'm mm-hmm. like, even after all this time, you still like to show up. And so it still surprises me, even though I know better, it still thinks maybe if I knock hard enough on this door, she'll let me in. <laughs> yeah, And I'm like, no, I'm not. And so that, you know, that still surprises me. So is there anything in this business that you have consciously created for yourself that still surprises you? Oh, every, yes, every single day. (laughs) So I'm like, the list is long, but I will say when you were, when you were uh, sharing that story, the thing that I thought of was the fact that like, I have adult ADHD and I've known that since I was 20 years old. Um, And, but I was in corporate America, you know, for all of those years. And so I was punching in that clock basically from, from nine to five in some capacity, you know, and making, making it work quote unquote. And so when I got into business myself, and noticed, oh, like I work best from 6 to 11 a.m. And then I need a gigantic nap or a break. And then like I have usually a spurt from like 4 to 6 p.m. while watching TV. Um, And realizing, number one, that doesn't add up to an eight-hour day most of the time. Like you get a good between like three to five hours in me, like a good, you know, amount of time in me. And then I'm toast for the rest of the day. But like recognizing that and thinking, like even now sometimes being like, well, if I could only do X, Y, Z, I'd be so much more successful. If I could really like sit down and hunker down for full eight hours straight, you know, I'd be so much more successful. And then I'm like, no, this is what works for me. And this is one of the reasons why I built the business the way that I did. And also why, how and why I knew that I needed the team that I did, because I know the things that i I say I'm going to do, but will never do. And so I need a team to support me in those ways. So I think between building the schedule that I have and also building the team that can support me in my weaknesses that I have, like those are the two ways that it shows up for me still. And I feel like I can do better. And also that I've supported what I know that I need support around. Often people hire because there's complementary skills. And mm-hmm. I learned the hard way that like, no, I need to hire you for the things that I'm not good at. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I completely. Need, <laughs> I need you to fill in the gaps. Like, if I was like, I'm great at writing, let me hire somebody else who's great at writing. No, no. 
No. Yeah. Now, now if I say I'm great at writing, but I hate doing it, now that's different. Mm-hmm. I don't want to do this. Please do this for me. But I think I years ago really was given a very different narrative when it came to hiring. And first of all, there was too much of it that was around just really hiring people that you liked. Mm-hmm. And I do think that that's a part of it. But you have to first kind of have this really honest moment with yourself of like, these are the things that I'm not only good at, but I enjoy. And here are the things that I don't enjoy, but here are the things that maybe I'm good at, but it's probably not the best use of my time. Yes. And And having to figure that out. Yeah. It's so, it's so hard. I think that that last piece that I'm good at it and it's not the best use of my time has been the thing that I struggle with the most because for Mm -hmm. me, that thing is tech. Like I started off as a tech VA and I love tech. I love playing around with it. I love learning it and experimenting it and all those things. But as a CEO now, like, is it the best use of my time for me to be setting up my own tech all the time? The answer is no, <laughs> right? And, but so like yesterday, um, I, I'm supposed to be like writing something for this this summit that's happening next week. And like my project manager has been on me for two weeks now being like, is it done yet? Is it done yet? No, it's not done yet. But yesterday, my podcast episode for my podcast got done by my by our editors. And I had already like put it, you know, done all the tech for it, already put it on, scheduled it and everything. And she was like, why why did you prioritize that when you have a blank paper standing, staring back at you? And I'm like, because it was the thing that was fun. And it, uh-huh. it, it was the dopamine hit. Like it was the thing that I love. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and it's, and honestly, that's the thing that I think people have a hard time acknowledging. And, yeah. and it's it could, because it's true. It's true. It's like, I could be doing this, but I'd so much rather be doing this Mm -hmm. thing. (laughs) And this is where I do think that we have to, again, be honest with ourselves, but we have to also know that we have to hire folks. Um, And even if it just comes from your peers and those, you know, business, uh, people love the term business besties, Mm -hmm. uh, those people that are holding you accountable for like, Girl, I know you like to do that, but stay out of it. <laughs> yeah. <right. laughs> okay. Yep. So one of the questions I want to ask um, before we start to kind of wrap up is we talk a lot around here about imperfect allyship. And one of the things that I've um, been really making that a point to remind people of is that imperfect allyship is not just about um, white people or white women specifically being an ally to Black people or Black women. And I do feel like after the murder of George Floyd and everything that subsequently happened in 2020, um, there was this thought that anytime you talked about allyship, uh, co-conspirators, anything along those lines, that it was really just a very Black and white issue. And I think that the important piece of imperfect allyship is understanding that it's simply someone that need support that not only is that individual that looks, lives, or loves differently than you do, but sometimes it's about people that identify similarly, but there's something that's different, whether it's access, whether it's knowledge base, whether it's skill set, um, longevity, resources, whatever that might be. Mm-hmm. And so with that, you know, kind of groundwork there, is there anywhere that you have witnessed where you've received or or given it, but how imperfect allyship has shown up in business for you? 
Oh, such a great question. Thank you for this. <laughs> so I'll, I'll share a, a, two stories, one on either side. I think that the imperfect allyship piece um, that I've given has been primarily through my Facebook group. And I know that I have, that I am blessed as a Black woman to have the platform that I've created for myself. And I don't take that for granted. And so um, I think that what I've found in my Facebook group that I, I don't even know that I was anticipating, but I appreciate is so many Black women come to my Facebook group saying like, I needed to see that this was possible, not just for anybody, but for somebody who looks like me. And so I think that me being an ally for them means utilizing the platform that I have and being able to amplify their voices and what's important to them and what feels heavy and hard for them. Um, so you mentioned George Floyd when, when all of that was happening in 2020, I really used my Facebook group as a safe space to have conversations and to just be like, how's your heart today? Like, how are you feeling? Like, you don't, you know, business and life coexist and they commingle and you can't stop your business because life is happening, but you also can't stop your life because business is happening. So let's deal with feelings right now. Um, and there's been a couple other times when that has happened. I'll mention on the other side of that, um, around the same time. So I'm going to try to like sum up this story, but it's like a couple minutes long. So stay with me, everyone. You're good. Let's <laughs> okay. do this. Let's, Let's do, do this. this. So in 2017 or early 2018, I went to a conference where I met Amy Porterfield for the first time. And it was one of those where like she, you know, was just there to like answer everybody's questions because it was like, oh, it's Amy Porterfield. Right. And then um, and then she left. But we got to do like meet like a little quick meet and greet where you could take a picture with her and everything. And so I told her what I did and that I, I owned an agency and she was like, oh my gosh, that's such a needed, uh, you know, skill set and everything. And I was like, thank you. And then a year later, I met her at a different conference. So this was early 2020. This happened um, right before the pandemic and everything. And so that time I reminded her of our first meeting. And then um, she said, remind me what you do again. And I told her about launch management. And she said, can you send me an email? Um, and can you like, just let, let my team know what you do? Because we have so many people in our community who are looking for you and the type of agency that you own. And so I was like, not a problem and everything. So long story short, her team reached out to me within like three days of that second meeting and was like, we want to feature you. Like people really need you and everything. So fast forward to April, George Floyd's murder. And I'm, I'm seeing a lot of people like starting to point fingers at like, well, this person doesn't have enough like people of color on their podcast or this person's not doing it right. And Amy was one of the people mentioned. And so I basically spoke up and said, you know what? Amy doesn't have enough black people on her podcast. This is true. However, comma, she also has done X, Y, Z for me. And I can point to, by that time, I could point to 50 to $100,000 from her mentioning my name in rooms that I wasn't even in, where she had stood up for me and said like, Latasha does amazing work. Um, and so after that, I was like, you know what? I think I need to like let Amy know that because I hadn't really like, I had just been like, oh, thanks. And kind of peaced out, <laughs> you know, right. not intentionally. But from that, like she's had me on her podcast. She continues to send me referral business to this day. And I think that 
what I saw in her in that moment was she stepped up and said, you know what? I counted the number of people of color that I've had on my podcast and I am embarrassed. And she owned that. And also I wanted people to see the other side of like, yes, she wasn't doing this part right, but she was standing up for me and for other people of color in ways that people weren't seeing because it wasn't as amplified as her podcast is, for example. I do think that whenever we talk about imperfect allyship, it can be very easy to only consider the things that are visibly put out there publicly. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, even some of the clients that um, we work with in pause on the play, you know, we'll have sometimes people be like, Oh, you're not doing enough. And us on the back end, we're like, are you kidding? You have no (laughs) idea. And there are times to where I think, I think that, the reality with allyship, um, especially when you're doing it imperfectly, is that there's always room to continue to, um, you know, amplify it and to, to to do more. And it is it is a long game mm-hmm. and it does take time to identify the challenges, put things in place and actually get them running and then to see the outcomes. Those mm-hmm. things don't happen overnight. Yeah. And so this is where, you know, for anyone that maybe is is hearing this, I think it's worthwhile to remind you to, yes, stay in action, keep doing what you're doing, but to know that if we're only quantifying it with what we see on the surface, uh, that's a, a a small part of the barometer of, of indication of what's happening. And you also have to remember that in order to hit that point of visibly having it show up publicly, you have to be planting these seeds on a regular basis. Absolutely. So before we wrap up, I would love for you to share one action that you would like the listeners to take after they've listened to our amazing conversation right now that would create change and impact? Oh, I think one action is sending somebody a compliment, a sincere compliment and, and thanking them um, for something that they don't necessarily know they've done for you. <laughs> I don't know if that makes sense, but I think yes. so, sometimes like we're just like, oh, you know, like my my example with Amy is one example, but I think there are so many times where I, I'll see somebody's post and be like, oh, that post was totally meant for me or something small that they do or they stand up for somebody else in the comment section of, you know, Instagram or something. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's awesome. And I never tell them. I never take the time and the pause to say thank you or to let them know how that impacted me. And I think sometimes people just need to hear that. I love that. And I honestly like the the random acts of kindness. Mm. Yes, 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 yes. I love that. That's such <laughs> a good one. Such, such, such a good one. So before we go, please go ahead and tell people where they can find you. Absolutely. So I have two websites. So if you are interested in launch management or need support around that, the launchguild.com is where you can find me. And then um, my other website for my coaching programs is tashabooth.com. I hang out on Instagram a ton over at the Tasha Booth on Instagram. So come hang out with me there and send me a DM. Let me know that you've listened to this and we can continue the conversation. Love it. Love it. For all your time, your genius and everything that you have so graciously shared with us today. Thank you so much, Tasha. Thank you. This was a conversation that I'm really glad that 
we were able to dig into the fact that, you know, like the biggest thing I think, strangely enough, that stood out to me was Tasha just sharing that you don't have to launch in any one way. And too often there is this prescriptive boxed in, do it this way or no way at all approach to launches and acknowledging that it's not about burnout. It's not about feeling bad. It's not about copycatting what someone else did. That is the type of permission that I want everybody to think about when they are deciding what do they want to do, who they want to do it for, and how it is that they're actually going to make it happen. You can do it differently. You can claim that for yourself. You have full access to that permission. We are also acknowledging that this podcast is recorded on the stolen land of the Susquehannock, the Scataway, Nantigo people native to this area known as Maryland. For always showing up here as we have real conversations in order to normalize the challenging things and to make them a part of your everyday exchanges, thank you. This is how together we remove stigma and create real change and connection. Continue to cross lines and recreate boundaries in order to support and not separate. We together can continue getting more people to drop the veil while challenging their thoughts, feelings, and actions. So until the next time, keep the dialogue going. Bye. To become an iconic brand, you must be willing to think beyond your next launch. Bi-weekly, India Jackson, co-founder of Pause on the Play, has conversations exploring branding and visibility. Own your values while becoming iconic and amplifying your influence. You can start that today by giving the Flaunt Your Fire podcast a follow. Ready to get clear on what matters? Let's do this. From implicit to explicit is a framework that helps you to get clear on what matters and how it informs the way you live and lead in your workplace. Whether it's focusing on the team building and connection that can happen when you talk about what matters to you as a person or how it informs the outcomes that you seek in your business, it can all completely change the game. Having clarity on what your values are and how this shapes the way your work creates the foundation for every action that you take and then sharing this information across your team explicitly This is what creates confidence and integrity in what it is that you are creating and sharing with the world. Visit pauseontheplay.com forward slash explicit to learn more about this collaborative and interactive workshop and sign up today. Ready to lead through your values?